right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Traceability Podcast. I am your host, Tracy Edwards. Today, I am so excited to say that my guest is Michael Dosick. Mike is a graduate of Carnegie Mellon with a degree in mathematics, and he began his career as a software engineer. And he slowly eased into management over the next several years. He then received BA in 2001 from Santa Clara University. He's been at all size companies since then with uh, increasing levels of responsibility. And until recently was one of my line leaders and mentors. So excited to have you here today, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me. We've been talking about this for a little while and I'm glad we were able to make it happen. Glad to be here, Tracy. One of the things that prompted this conversation was some of the things that are going on in the tech industry right now having to do with the economy and such. And Mike is a bit of an expert in this. He has been laid off six times in his career, and he's also had to do some of that laying off. And so he's got a a great perspective as we talk about uh, those challenges today. So thank you. Yeah, that's a rather ignoble accomplishment, but... uh... It is what it is. All right. So understand that you got your career uh, start as a software engineer. And, and uh, what was that like for you? Well, it was, a, it was a slightly different time. So I graduated at the end of the 80s and 89. The uh, internet was there, but the World Wide Web wasn't there yet. So I started my career at a, a company called Stratus Computer that made many computers. And I was in the operating systems uh, team. Uh, we had email. Uh, an FTP, but that was about it for kind of communication. So the web hadn't started yet. So you're you're working uh, much more independently, with a lot less collaboration across. I mean, you work with your teams, but there weren't these sources of knowledge you can go to to go off and ask questions. So much different environment then. And then as uh, in the 90s, as the internet started to come about, I actually took a couple jobs that were a little more relevant to that. I worked at a uh, one company was actually a cyber cafe that we, we developed the software for to run. Uh, this is where, yeah, the internet was here, but it wasn't in your home yet. So you went to these cyber cafes where you can get high-speed internet and play various different games and do various different things on the on the internet. Uh, and then at some point, I ended up at a company called LoudCloud, which was Mark Andreessen's company and uh, Ben Horitz's after they did Netscape. And that was probably the, the first real cloud company. They called themselves mm-hmm. LoudCloud. We didn't know what the cloud was at the time, but the idea was there where we could actually you didn't host your own infrastructure. You, you kind of outsourced that to someone else, and they took care of the infrastructure for you. And we learned how to do a lot of things at scale because you didn't want to do one thing on one computer, then sort of the same thing on the next computer. We had thousands of computers running that we needed to be very consistent about how we approached them. I got to be in the market as uh, as the internet was birthed, uh, or at least the World Wide Web was, and that was a, a very exciting time to be in this space. It was. I kind of got my start in tech right around Y2K. It was a very exciting time with, uh, you know, Netscape browser and Google wasn't really a thing yet. And there was a lot going on. Very rapid, rapid uh, change happening. AltaVista was the cool search engine at the time. Yes. Yes, it was. I forgot about AltaVista. At what point did you decide, hey, management sounds like it might be something I'm interested in? 
I enjoyed software engineering a lot. I really enjoyed solving problems. And actually, when I was at this cyber cafe, it was called Cybersmith. I wrote a lot of code. I actually still have it. I printed it all out when I left. And I still have it. You can't do that anymore. You know, I realized I wanted to have more of an influence on a company. And so that was kind of where I started looking at management as as kind of the next thing to go off and do. It's not for everybody. It's not Mm -hmm. always the best path. Um, Right. But it's one I started to go down. And it was very interesting for me. You know, the challenges are a lot different. You can't stare at a computer and keep trying things to fix an organization or to be a better manager. You can't debug people. Right. <laughs> they're, they're very resilient to that. Uh, and so it's a, a totally different problem set to be in. And I really enjoyed it. Right. And that's that's kind of what um, got me into the management flow of things. I would say having maybe a wider influence on an organization, but also a totally different challenge than just slinging code until it worked. Very interesting. As you say, you can't debug people and there uh, are so many different personalities and so many uh, different reasons for why people are in a particular role. So speaking of those who maybe are not uh, as interested in um, moving into management, what are some things that they can do as an individual contributor to sort of still keep them excited and motivated and happy to come to work every day. Be passionate about what you do. You know, obviously the environment has to be there for you to be, be passionate. Um, It's hard to come to work and be excited in a a toxic environment. And please, if you can't avoid those, sometimes you can't, and you kind of got to kind of bear with it for a bit, but be passionate about what you do. Be involved. Coding is, in the end, it's still a human activity, right? Mm-hmm. No matter what chat GTP says, <laughs> coding is still is still a human activity. And developing right. software is still a human activity. And it's really important to keep that in mind. Uh, even as an individual contributor, you're still interacting with lots of different people, from other engineers to the product folks to people who may be doing the program management to the business lines. So be involved there, right? Be part of the business. Um, you don't have to be a leader to do that. Or I shouldn't say you don't have to be in management to do that. You can be a leader without being in management. How then when we sort of, we don't really want to be in management, we realize that maybe our path is limited where we are currently. What are some things that you might recommend to to folks who uh, maybe aren't feeling as passionate as they used to and are, are sort of wondering where they go next? The, the age old questions, what's, what's next for me? Mm-hmm. Used a couple words that I wouldn't call limited. Limited a great way to phrase it. You know, again, it's kind of going back to what you like to do. What are you passionate about? And finding the passion in what you do. And so, whether your if your career feels dead ended for some reason, it, it isn't because oh, I should have chosen management instead of staying in my engineering role, or vice versa. I really think it's about finding a passion in what you do, finding how it contributes to the to the goal right hopefully you're you what you want to do in life aligns a bit with what the company's trying to achieve and you get some passion out of that but sometimes it's always right take a break right you know if, if you're mm-hmm. feeling stuck in the mud take some time off and think about it for a little bit think about what you want to do think about what what brings you joy and it doesn't have to be all from work right there's other things in life besides coming to work that's yes a big part of your life and, and hopefully you find a job that fulfills you in that part of your life, but there's other ways to fulfill yourself as well. And that's important not to lose sight of. One of the things that I appreciate about you is that you do have sort of those other passions, uh, 
Uh, we talk about music and we talk about good health and, and all of that kind of thing, which I, which I know uh, are things that are an interest of, of yours in addition to work. Yeah, and as a leader, I think it's important to go off and show those things, right? It's not that the, the, the work life isn't your whole life, right? And so when I would talk about things, and usually in our, in our team meetings, we had a weekly team meeting, it was a conscious effort to show a bit more outside of work, right? And that people shouldn't feel that they come to work and that's all I see of those people, right? They're humans. They have things outside of work. Uh, and so that's important to, for me to show that as a leader that that's, that's okay, you know, I wasn't going into all the drama of my life or whatever that might be, but I was happy to share, uh, you know, I ran a race or I went to a career, that kind of thing, just to kind of show a little bit more of my my side, the humanness of me. Uh, and so other people would feel comfortable doing that as well. Well, I certainly uh, appreciated it. And I, I know the team did as well. So as we think about building teams, other than okay, the purpose of the team is X, so I need people who, who are sort of versed in X. Are there other things you're looking for when you're building teams? Absolutely. The, the I need a person to do X is usually teachable. So that's actually the easy part to find the person that can do that. But finding a person that's excited by what they do uh, and brings a passion to what they work. I use that a lot. They're collaborative. Uh, they've kind of got a growth mindset in the sense that they're constantly trying to learn new things as well, and they're willing to make mistakes, right? And so I look for people that have this, it's more than just, I can do this thing that we need you to go off and do. It's how are they going to fit in the team? How are they going to make the team better uh, because they're an addition to it? The worst thing I do is bring on someone that that impacts the team negatively, because now I've not only I made a bad choice about one person, I made a bad choice about that impacts six or seven people. So I'm very, very concerned about the fit of the person how they fit into the team. And I think a lot of that fit comes from, hey, is this person willing to go off and get outside their comfort zone, go work on something that maybe they're not comfortable with? Um, and they're willing to go off and, and, you know, my big thing is they're willing to run into the fire, right? If there's a problem, they're not running in the opposite direction. They're going to jump in and help, even if they're not even experts, right? Or they don't even know what's going on. They're, they're innately curious about the problem and they want to go help What's been going on the last, I, I don't know, it's been going on six months or so now in the in the tech industry. There's been a lot of volatility, a lot of companies doing layoffs. And as, as someone who has sort of been on both sides of that, what are some things that we can do to maybe be a little more prepared in spite of some of the uncertainty that's uh, that's going on right now? Yeah, it's definitely a bloodbath out there for sure in tech. And it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. But the industry, it's a cyclical industry, uh, which is a comfort in the, in the sense that it probably will come back. There's no guarantee of anything, but that's been the pattern for the last 20 years or so is that we go through these periods of expansion and contraction that are pretty significant. And so, you know, what can you do to prepare yourself for that? I think a lot, there's always on a tactile side, kind of be up to date with your industry, keep yourself current. But I think a lot of it, um, you know, and maintain your network, right? Make sure you know you people you work with, you, you've, you've made a connection with them. Uh, that's important. You never know when you want to go off and reach out to someone. They say, oh, yeah, that person. Love working with that person. He or she was great. Right? Having that impression on people certainly can't hurt and, and probably help a lot. But I also think is the big thing is to be resilient, right? 
it's awful being laid off. There's like I, we start off with, I've been laid off six times. It has been terrible every single time. <laughs> Maybe you get a little more used to it, but it's, it's still a, a shot to your self-esteem. So I think there's a bit of learning how to be resilient. And that's something you can actually teach yourself, right? It's that, hey, I've been to adversity. Uh, I've always come out the other side. And having that kind of experience in your past helps a lot. The first time I was laid off from, actually it was Loud Cloud uh, back in 2000, I was devastated. I, I just started a family, just bought a house. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> right? I was really worried. Fortunately, my wife was still working. So we had some income, but it was uh, half of what we had. And uh, it took me a while to um, kind of mentally get over that uh, and kind of get get written, just start hitting the streets, ca- you know, calling all my connections. Uh, I eventually landed a job at eBay, but I used a connection of mine from LoudCloud that knew the head of VP at eBay. There was no way I was going to get that job unless he made that phone call. There were so many resumes out there at the time that you know I got mine to the top. Uh, it turned out he was a senior vice president of engineering at, at eBay, and he told probably told somebody, go hire this guy. And that was probably it. That's kind of the power of connections. And so it's important to maintain those. Interesting. Um, LinkedIn was not a thing in 2001. And so maintaining connections was a little different than, than it is now. And we've got, I think, some great resources, but there's always just sort of that humanness, right? Maintaining those connections at, at that relationship kind of level and not just hey, you haven't heard from me in 10 years. And I I think we need to do a little better at um, keeping in contact with folks. Yeah, LinkedIn's just a tool, right? And one of my favorite quotes I use that is that you can't buy a telescope and say you're doing astronomy. So LinkedIn's a tool to help you be connected with people, but it doesn't make you connected with people. So you have to make that connection. You have to take that extra step, stay in contact, just check in with people go have coffee, go have dinner, go have breakfast, right? Um, whatever you can do. keeps you busy, keeps your mind thinking that you're moving forward. So it helps you mentally as well, but it also helps build those connections for people that you may leverage sometime somewhere down the road. True. And I think, you know, not just externally, but internally, we need to kind of know people within our company. Uh, you would not have gone to eBay if you kind of hadn't networked internally at LoudCloud, right? That's absolutely right. So, you know, even though I was laid off, it wasn't because I was a bad person or I was bad at what I was doing. It was an unfortunate state of the economy. And so I built up a lot of goodwill at LoudCloud that I was able to go leverage to go get my next job. Say we're sort of free. uh, We think something may be coming, um, but we're not sure. What conversations should we be having with our managers and leaders? It's something that I'm sort of keen on is, is making sure that I'm having regular conversations with um, my managers and leaders about where I'm hoping to go and the things that I'm hoping to do in the organization. Um, do you have any recommendations there? Yeah, that's really important. And uh, for all you folks listening, Tracy was great at that. She would uh, reach out to me every once in a while uh, and, and say, hey, Mike, I want to catch up on some stuff. And we would have a great conversation. Um, you know, So it's really important for you to be you know, for the leaders and managers in your team to know what Tracy wants or what you want to go off and do and not be the point where you're going to go put them in a corner and saying, if you don't give me this role, I'm going to be really upset. It's But Tracy was very good saying, hey, I'm really interested in doing more of X. How can I help? And being seen as someone you can assist a leader and helping them achieve their goals. 
Uh, and I know, you know, Tracy came to me a couple of times and we were able to move you around a bit and got you some more a different set of responsibilities. And you got to meet with me every Friday and listen to my OCD about uh, how to write up a few uh, incidents. But I think it was a great move for you. It certainly helped me. And that was perfect, right? So uh, you were able to say, I want to do, I want to be more of this. And I said, good, I need someone to do more of that. That's that's where we went. And uh, it was very helpful for me. And hopefully it was very uh, rewarding for you. Well, I can say it definitely has been. You know, it, it got me excited uh, about something. And you talk about being passionate about what you do. And sometimes we're feeling a little you know, I've been doing this a long time and I'm kind of not feeling it right now. And I think being able to express that and say, I want to help and how can I help is uh, is super important. Yeah, it's a good point, right? Sometimes you get in a rut just because you've been there for so long. Not that you don't mm-hmm. like it, not mm-hmm. that it's bad. You've just been doing it for a while and you need to shake it up a little bit. Yeah, we had a great opportunity for you to help out with a bunch of different things and you jumped right in, which was, which was fantastic. So I had been at a company for about, uh, it wasn't quite 19 years. It was a long-term job and I just really was not as enthused about it as I had been in realizing that some sort of change needed to happen. And change can be scary, especially the first change. You know, you talk about uh, your first experience uh, moving on from LoudCloud and, and how that was quite scary for you. When we move out of our comfort zone, it can definitely be quite scary. But one of the things that I learned was, hey, you survived the first change, so you'll probably survive the next one. Probably. And it'll get a little easier, you know? I totally agree. I think, you know, one of the, if there's a silver lining to being laid off six times, is I got to go do something new every single time and learn that I can go off. And have that comp- confidence to step into an environment that I have very little confidence yet. I haven't built any reputation. I haven't built any real experience. I haven't built any connections with folks and be successful, right? And I think that's actually very powerful that uh, arrow I have in my quiver that I can jump into an organization I know nothing about and make an impact. I've proven myself being able to do that several times now. Well, and one thing we've talked about is um, your last role. It's sort of... Um, There were a couple of things in the role that when you got there weren't initially in your skill set, probably, right? You'd done the infrastructure, but there was also sort of this telephony side of things that was a little bit new. So I I think as as we look for jobs that we might be a fit for, I don't know that we always need to have all the dots on the I's and all the crosses on the T's, right? You know, and it's really, again, when I, when I hire people, I'm looking for more of the, the ability. I'm trying to, to use a, a sport metaphor, sports metaphors, throw the football to where that person is going to be, right? So you want to be able to find people that can grow and expand their, their capabilities or are willing to go off and grow and expand their capabilities, get uncomfortable a bit, learn something, not be an expert in something and still try to be able to contribute to it. And so, yeah, that's, that's actually very exciting. So to kind of get back to your question, having that confidence in yourself that you can go off and, and maybe take something on that's adjacent to what you're doing or uh, slightly different, that's really important. And I, I think also realizing that not every job is going to be perfect and that's going to be okay. Exactly. And look, when I when I started managing the telephony team, I was very upfront with the manager, like, I have no idea what we're doing here, <laughs> right? So being 
you know, self-aware that you might not know something and being comfortable with the fact that you don't know something, you know, actually puts people at ease, right? I, I was able to set the expectation that, hey, I am going to be leaning on you folks for a little bit here until I, until I can help you guys out more and learn some more. And I think that, you know, put the manager at ease. You know, I wasn't going to be coming out of right field with these weird things. And if I did, it was more out of just trying to learn. Uh, and I was very conscious of, of when I would make a suggestion, especially around saying, I probably don't know what I'm talking about. But what about this, right? In the end, they're all systems anyways, right? Whether it's a telephone system or data center infrastructure or corporate IT, in the end, they're all systems. And eventually, you get good at understanding how systems work and and the logic behind them. But I was very upfront with like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but how about this, right? And that kind of puts people at ease. It gets my agenda across, uh, and we can start having a conversation about it. Usually, I was wrong, but I got to learn something. (laughs) But you learned along the way. Exactly. So there's been really dramatic changes in the world the last few years with the pandemic and with remote work and people not being in offices and that kind of thing. So as a as a manager and leader, what are some of the things that have been different about, about leadership since then for you? And are the concerns the same, just in a different atmosphere? When I first started this, this job was in the middle of the pandemic. So I had a bunch of people uh, that I was meeting for the first time on Zoom, right? Basically the panel. And so that was an interesting challenge for sure. I knew I, I knew to be an effective leader, I had to make connections with people. Uh, you can still do it over Zoom. It's just harder, right? You have to be a little more, you have to be a lot more proactive. You can't just be passive aggressive. You can't rely on the hallway conversation. You have to be more deliberate, more intentional. But I was very intentional about meeting as many people as I could one-on-ones on Zoom just to start making connection. And I think that was very helpful. And I, I tried again to kind of set the stage in the, my initial all hands of just kind of just saying who I am, how I try to manage just, just to get people to get to know me and start. And so be explicit about showing a bit of my humanity over Zoom because you, people aren't going to pick it up any other way, right? So I had to go off and, and talk about some of my interests and some of the stuff I do outside of work and who I was as a person. So that was important to do. So you have to be explicit, right? People aren't going to pick up. The signals aren't there that you normally pick up through 70,000 years of evolution, right? <laughs> we, we have to be explicit about it and say, or at least more explicit about it when you do it over Zoom or some other form of communication. Well, and I don't think it was this way before the pandemic, but I joined the company about six months before the pandemic, so I can't be totally sure. But during the pandemic time, we started to have people all over the country, right? We yep. have East Coast, we have Midwest, we've, we've got uh, Intermountain West, we've got the West Coast. So how do you manage uh, that as a leader when people are so dispersed now? And um, you're not having those get-togethers in the hallway, and and uh, time time is a challenge, right? Because five five o'clock on the East Coast, but you know you still got a half a day to go on the West Coast, right? Yeah, time zones are the biggest challenge to remote work, uh, for sure. You know, if someone's in LA and California, and someone's in San Francisco and California, they're going to make it work pretty well, most likely, right? You've got the same working hours. But as part of when you start expanding time zones, there's a couple of different classes of time zone differentials, I would say. If you're three or four time zones away, then it's about optimizing time zones you overlap in. So we had some folks in the East Coast, and we made sure that kind of our team meetings happened during those overlapping hours. 
but our work could still be highly coupled. If you start going 9, 10, 11, 12 hour time zones, then the work has to start becoming decoupled uh, and has to be a lot more independent. So if you've got a team offshore in India that's 12 hours away, that team's got to be able to work independently. And so you need a whole different management structure there. You need a strong leader out there. You need work that's very self-contained, that doesn't require a lot of interaction across the different teams. So that gets harder. That kind of work gets less collaborative as the time zone stretch, but it has to be different type of work. And you have to recognize that. So uh, another thing that I think has really kind of come up in the last few years is sort of the concept of Zoom fatigue and productivity. What are some learnings you, you have around both of those things? I didn't never suffered too much from Zoom fatigue as other people did. I don't, maybe I'm just wired weird. I always look forward to talking to people at times. <laughs> I think you've got to manage your fatigue, whatever causes that fatigue, and to give yourself mm-hmm. some break. Um, you know, coders get into a flow, and when they get out of that flow, they should just kind of step away, um, reset themselves, and kind of get back into the flow. Zoom is, uh, you know, I can see, especially if you're, if you're a developer or some sort of engineer where you're already on your computer a lot, also now you've got to be on Zoom. The, um, you've lost your flow of what you're doing, and now you've got to do a complete break and be on Zoom and interact with people. I think that's really hard. You, mm-hmm. you don't get the, the benefit of getting up and doing something else, like walking, at least walk to the meeting that you can do in person. You're just sitting right there still where you were before doing something completely different. And I suspect that's where a lot of the Zoom fatigue comes from. If you're already on your computer a lot, and all of a sudden you have to do Zoom, you're just piling onto an already exhausted mental state without something new, without something refreshing. So definitely difficult. You know, my advice there is is be conscious of what's going on, be cognizant of it, and try to make some sort of breaks in, in, the, in the routine. You know, the remote culture also gives you a lot more flexibility. Go for a walk, go for a jog, just get up, um, do something different. And I think that actually to be able to be cognizant of to take advantage of those activities as well. Something I know that I have done, and I, I think we've talked about this too, is that when I see white space in my calendar, I will block it out. Yeah, before I take it. That's a good idea. Yeah. Maybe I'll go read a book, or maybe I'll go um, play with a cat, or as you say, go for a walk, or or do something to kind of get the get the break in the day. And I know that's, yeah. that's something that, that's been helpful for me. Yeah, there's a ton scientific theory around how long you can work, how long you should work. And I, I believe it's all very personalized, but I believe there's, there's some fact there that it's good to go off and reset yourself, take a break. I'm very curious about this scientific theory that you should take naps in the afternoon. That sounds amazingly appealing. Uh, and I hope, uh, <laughs> I hope hope we can find a way to put 20 minute naps at two o'clock because that, uh, <laughs> that should be on everyone's calendar. I'd definitely be interested in that as well. I don't think you can... Uh, be in a career as, as long as I have and, and not to love the idea that there might be naps during the day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you have any concerns about, there's a lot of conversation about productivity right now and remote work. And I haven't personally had this concern because I feel like our team has been super productive. But I know that a lot of companies are kind of struggling with are they working when they say they're working and are they being productive and all of that kind of thing? Or do you have concerns there? I have some very strong opinions on that, actually. Basically, the bottom line, if you can't trust your employee to be productive remotely, you've got the wrong person. 
that person is just either not right, it's not a good fit, whether that was a remote worker or, or an in-person worker. If they this person feels like they can only work if they're being watched, you've probably got the wrong person. And that person's probably in the wrong job. So that's kind of the baseline. I think there's a tendency for CEOs and executives. Um, obviously, they're measured by you know, how much output your company has. Step back a little bit. They get caught up in the output and kind of forget about the outcomes, right? They're measured on the outcomes of their company, right? And that's really what's important. I've always been enamored of the person that gets stuff done in six hours and take the rest of the day off, right? Those people are my heroes, right? I don't need someone to be putting a 12-hour uh, and punching a clock and saying, look at all the work I got done. I'd rather someone said, I worked six hours look at all the work I got done. And by the way, I spent the rest of the day with my family. Those are the people that impressed me a lot. Unfortunately, those people make executives very nervous, right? Because they're trying to they're they're looking at their bottom line. How much how much money does my company make per employee? Is a is a big metric, right? And so I think they get nervous, but they, they need to focus. My advice to the CEOs is more to the CEOs and, and executives: be focused on the outcome. Don't worry about how they get there. It's more about the the outcome than than the output. It's easy to lose sight of outcomes when. Um... We've got a lot of tactical things in front of us. Yep. And so CEOs are notoriously for, notorious for wanting people in the office, right? So they can see all the people, all the, their, their investments are busy working. Maybe it's an insecurity that comes with the job. Well, I've, I've also noticed that, um, at least at the executive team level, that their personalities are just sort of wired for action. Very good. Yeah, it's a good observation. A lot of them are extroverts, right? They want to have that buzz around them right and that makes them feel good it's interesting i, I wonder if there's a, a correlation between the introvertness or the extrovertness of a ceo and his willing his or her willingness to be uh let remote work happen that would be that would be a really interesting study to do actually so i'll have to keep that in my bag of bag of study questions there you go <laughs> Another thing that we have talked about, especially as it comes to health, health, and um, you have had some health challenges over the years. So I think that's another thing that I appreciate because you understand the health challenges in relation to career and how to balance and all of all of that kind of thing. Yeah, first. Yeah, so for all of all of your listeners, Tracy, I'll do a little background. Um, about six years ago. On Thanksgiving Day, I had a heart attack while running the San Jose or Silicon Valley Turkey Trot. So it's a 10K race, and I had a heart attack during the race. Obviously, I fully recovered. Very fortunate. There happened to be a couple of nurses that were jogging during the race, and they did CPR on me um, until an AED device showed up, uh, and they kind of zapped me back. Uh, so a couple of lessons there. Um, if you're going to have a heart attack, hospital, great place. Sporting event, large one, also a reasonable place to have a heart attack because uh, there's people that are trained to go off and take care of you and a race, which is a kind of a health thing. Uh, nurses are in abundance <laughs> at a race. So they, um, it was a very fortunate uh, event to very fortunate to have that event. Then, you know, even to the point where one of my nurses was a cardiac uh, ER nurse just happened to be jogging by me named Zen. So if it doesn't, it doesn't get any more, uh, better than that, I don't know what does. And we actually, we stayed friends. We get together every year still. Uh, and some, Hopefully all of us, you know, all of us run the race or at least some subset of us run the race together every year. And so 
uh, it's been an amazing connection uh, the four of us have had. That being said, you know, it, was, it took me probably, you know, a year to kind of get get over what happened to me. I think I probably cried every day as I would go for in the morning. Um, uh, but what they did do, the, the race coordinators were fantastic. They let me kick off the race the next year, uh, which kind of brought a lot of closure. I got to say a few words and blow the horn and stuff like that. And that was immensely gratifying for me. But to kind of tie that back, tie that back to work, you know, mentally for me, um, I didn't want to accept what happened. I actually went back to work about 10 days later, right? I was like, all right, had a heart attack. Let's get things back to normal, uh, which is kind of your first uh, reaction. And I, I totally feel for for the football player who had a heart attack on the field because I know he wants to get back to normal, and it's going to take him some time uh, to understand what his new normal is going to go off to be. But I think it's important to put things in perspective, right? Uh, and so that's what really helped me a lot, and, and it gives me a source of my resilience, right? That I I've come back from a, a heart attack. I've been I've been there and back again, and uh, that gives me a source of, of a fountain of resilience that I can always lean on. But it also gives me a perspective on folks, right? That, hey, your health is the most important thing. Uh, you shouldn't be working yourself so hard and being so miserable with a job that it affects who you are physically and mentally. That was a long answer to your question, I think. No, it's a, it's a great answer, a, a great perspective, because I think so many of the questions we're having um, during the pandemic and after right now, as we talk about productivity, as we talk about connections, that we can't be so on all the time that we forget we have to be taking care of ourselves and our families in, in the right way and and just sort of keep keep the perspective of what's really the, the most important work to be doing in that. You see this a lot. People get very hung up in the moment. And what I've what I've learned, I think the biggest lesson I've learned of the whole thing is that while I can take my work seriously, I don't have to take myself seriously. And Tracy, you see me crack the worst jokes in the most stressful times but that's that's one of my strategies like hey you know what it's not that big of a deal right uh, yes yeah maybe our website is down and, and we're losing millions of dollars but you know what no one's getting hurt <laughs> we'll figure it out i would probably feel more sorry for the people that have to listen to my jokes uh during a crisis than anything else <laughs> but it's uh it's a way to, to express that hey this is a serious problem but let's not take ourselves too seriously let's let's just kind of get you know solve the problem work the problem that's all that's all there is to it so for our listeners uh, one of the things that we've had at work using our uh, communication platform uh, we have a channel for um, dad jokes so we share a lot of just really ridiculous jokes and it keeps the mood light and uh, it, it keeps uh, everybody uh, focused on having fun and enjoying uh, work and, and stuff. So I, for one, really appreciate the jokes and, and the sense of humor. For sure. You know, I think there's nothing harder for an engineer trying to solve a problem knowing he's got a bunch of pissed off management at him. And so or, I really want to leave, relieve that pressure, right? Hey, you need to go solve this problem. You know, you need to solve the problem. You don't need me hovering over you saying, why isn't this fixed yet? Uh, rather, I'd throw, I'd rather crack a joke and get you to laugh a little bit and, and settle in and just kind of, okay, I've, I've, Mike's got my back. I'm just going to go figure out this problem now. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Mike. I always appreciate visiting with you and thank you. So any parting shots before we sign off today? Parting shots. <laughs> <laughs>
that that's been sort of a way for me to joke around a, a little bit. I love it. So. I love it. Look, I think you know for all the listeners out there, you know, I think the tech. If you're in tech, it's gonna it's gonna be a tough, stressful time for a couple quarters um, as as the industry right sizes itself a bit. I think there's a bit of, and I don't want to sound too uh, conspiratory theory. Uh, but I think the power that had swung to the employees is going to swing back to the employers for a little bit. These massive layoffs are a way to kind of swing the power back. And so we'll see how things play out. But no matter what happens, I always encourage people uh, to kind of be your best self. And that's something I always told the team, uh, my leadership, was that no matter what happens at the company, no matter how stressful it gets, be your best self. So you can always look yourself in the mirror and say, I, I did the best I could under those circumstances. So. That's my parting shot. Be your best self no matter what happens. It's a great note to end on. And actually, I'll, I'll, I'll go a little further. There's um, one, of my, one of the most impactful books I ever read was a book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl, uh, who wrote the book while he was in uh, concentration camps. He's got a quote, and I'm sure I'll, I'll butcher it, but basically he says, they can take everything away from you except how you go react in that situation, right? So that, that was it. They can put me in the worst thing. They can do these terrible things to me, but it's up to me how I want to go off and, and react in that situation. Um, it's a great quote. I recommend finding how he really said it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful uh, set of words, um, but it's really up to you how you want to react in these situations. That's, the situation is going to happen. That's out of your control, but how you react to it, that's completely up to you. That's my parting shot. That's a great parting shot. I um, loved the Viktor Frankl book. It's definitely worth a read. Sort of a seminal work. For our listeners, your call to action this week is to uh, give us a review on uh, Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, what you think of the podcast. And I'd love to hear from you. And you can reach me at Tracy at TraceAbilityCoach.com. We'd love to hear what you think of the podcast and the content that we're putting out there. So, Mike, thank you so very much for being here today. This is great. Always fun chatting with you and looking forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, everyone.